0: This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Blue Land. Did you know that uh, about 5 billion, b-b-b-billion, that's, a di- I checked that because that's a lot, plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles are thrown away every year. And if that's not bad enough, most cleaning formulas are 90% water, which is heavy. We're shipping around all this water using fuel when we don't have to. Every year, Americans throw away 25% more trash from Thanksgiving to New Year. This year, maybe, turn the New Year's resolution into action that makes a difference by switching to Blueland. Blueland is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and the planet with the same powerful clean you're used to. It's a simple idea. They have refillable cleaning products, they have a nice Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and John, the 100th episode extravaganza spectacular.
1: Or as I prefer to think of it, the 100th episode extravaganza spectacular of Dear John and Hank.
0: It's a comedy podcast where me and my brother John answer your questions, give me dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news for both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, how are you doing on our 100th episode?
1: I'm doing well. I apologize for taking a couple weeks off, but as you know, Hank, I have been signing my name over and over again because I'm signing 200,000 copies of my new book, Turtles All the Way Down, coming out October 10th, anywhere you buy books. Uh, Also, I wanted to let you know, Hank, there's a new website. It's a hot new website. Everybody's going there. Uh, Some people say it's the biggest new website to hit the internet in many years, and do you know what the (laughs) URL is?
0: What is it, John?
1: Probably com. A guide oh. to getting a probably signed pre-order of my book, Turtles, all the way down. That's <laughs> probablysignedturtles.com. Here's an amazing that's fact good. that's going to blow your mind. Okay. No one had ever attempted to register the website probablysignedturtles.com ever before.
0: So, John, in like 10 years, are you gonna still be upkeeping probably signedturtles.com? And if so, is it just gonna be like we'll send you a turtle? It may or may not be signed by John Green.
1: Yeah, no, we're gonna change our business model actually to probably signed turtles. Um, there's a 60% chance that you will get a turtle in the mail signed by me on the shell, and then there's a 40% chance that you're just getting a turtle.
0: Well, what if there's, like, a 40% chance you get nothing? That's just gambling, I guess.
1: It's a probably signed turtle, but there's a 40% chance that I'm just gonna steal your money. (laughs) How are you, Hank? I'm
0: good. Right before I was doing this, as you know, I'm very busy. I have a lot to do, so right before... Uh, I uh, hate it when
1: people complain about being busy. I spend nine hours a day signing my name over and over again, (laughs) but do I complain about being busy? I watch... I've watched every second of the Tour de France. I've, I I would argue that I've participated more in the Tour de France than some of the people who are biking in the Tour de France. I have suffered with them, Hank. I have crawled up the Pyrenees and the Alps with them while signing my name over and over again. But do I whine about being busy? No. Well,
0: John, if you hadn't interrupted me, then I would have been able to make a funny joke about how instead of being busy, I was watching competitive tag.
1: Oh my and God, then, I was also just watching competitive tag. We clearly browse the same website, Probably signedturtles.com, <laughs> where you can find all kinds of wonderful social media. Um, oh, I, I, competitive I, tag is amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, the
0: thing is its it's, uh, it's not called competitive tag, of course, because all tag is competitive. There's no non-competitive tag. but uh, there's this there's a sport and it's like free running combined with tag where these two fit individuals uh, run at each other and try to touch. One of them tries to not get touched., yeah. and it's and, and I think they have like 15 seconds to actually, because it apparently it's pretty hard to not get touched. And it is an amazing feat. Uh, and I watched like this gif of it. and then I was like, I need to watch lots of that. And luckily, I was able to find some videos of competitive tag tournaments. And uh, you know, John, I think that the, the sports we have right now are okay. But I I think that they are of another era and that we really do need ESP and the Ocho to come along and show us the sports that like, wait a second, why aren't these the sports? I mean, I certainly agree that we need ESP and the Ocho
1: because I don't know how else we're going to get third tier English soccer onto American cable.
0: (laughs) I just, I mean, I just have to like, I don't like when I watch things like competitive tag, I'm like, why even is there baseball? Like I oh, like sure
1: that's very hurtful to all our baseball fan fans and I just want to say to those fans we support you a hundred percent. Speaking of a hundred percent, I did not prepare a short poem for the day, so can we move right into <laughs> questions from our listeners? Yeah, you got one for me? I do. It's from Savannah. All I right. just feel like this is one of those. It's a time-sensitive question. Um, mm-hmm. Because she sent it in three weeks ago, and I feel like if we wait any longer to answer it, Savannah's going to be in a really tight spot. Dear John and Hank, how do I politely tell a friend who is over at my house that they need to go home now? Much love, Savannah.
0: <laughs> I hope that the friend isn't, like, still there.
1: I suspect they are. So,
0: is that what you're imagining? In my, yeah, I, my, in, in my
1: experience, my... it's very difficult to tell someone who doesn't know when it's time to leave that it's time to leave.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's all these like l- like cute little signals. Uh, one of actually that that well, there's all these cute little signals that people do. They're like uh, they like stand up from the thing and they start washing the dishes and like yep. cl- like clear clear signs. None of that works. Uh, my my uh, I have uh, some like I don't know what they are. They're relations of my wife. They are old people, and when it is when they feel that that feeling, what they say is, well, it's time to go to bed," so these people can go home.
1: Uh, That's a good one. I have a different strategy, which is that I start referencing uh, media that uh, I think will communicate my message, but hopefully in a subtle way. So for instance, I would say, um, hey, have you guys seen that really great new movie, Get Out? It's an amazing film. It's funny, it's scary, it's really surprisingly smart. Get Out is the name of the movie. Uh, another it's one that's subliminal. Yeah. Another one that I've tried is, um, hey, uh, do you remember that um, Jack Nicholson movie, The Departed? <laughs> that's a good one to use. And then the last one that I like to make sure to use sometimes is uh, there's a, I, I say like, um, I don't know if you guys have ever read the Sartre play, no exit, but um, it's a really good play. and in it there's no way for people to get away from other people. and that turns out to be literally hell. <laughs> okay,
0: I think this is I think we've we've covered the ground. Uh, my advice uh, start doing the dishes. John's advice, just yell at them in the middle of talking about other things.
1: There's a great new HBO show. Actually, it just wrapped up. It's called The Leaved Tovers. Is it? No, it's called it's The it... Leftovers, but I am not I am willing to re- make a strained are, pun yeah. to get people out you of my reaching. house if necessary.
0: Are... <laughs> <laughs> this uh, question, this next question that we have comes from Ryan John. It's not actually Ryan. It's just an anonymous person. Hello, dear Hank and John. I was watching your video on the U.S. extraction from the Paris Climate Agreement, and I was wondering how all this data on climate change is even found. Most of my family denies that climate change exists, and they always ask me that. I can't answer them well because I have no idea. I just don't know how the information is gathered. Tumultuously confused in Texas. Name omitted and replaced with Ryan.
1: How do we know, Hank, that... Uh, climate change is real. What is climate science? Tell me more. I don't know anything about these things. Well, I mean, how
0: we know climate change is real is a pretty, it's a pretty broad, deep, all all over question. Like we we know it from, uh, you know, ecology. We know it from physics. We know it from biology. We know it from, from climate science, which is its own, own thing. There's a lot of, basically oftentimes with, with things like this, you have a lot of different phenomena explained by the same thing. And that, is why there's so much consensus around climate change, but in terms of the actual how, like how the data is collected, I think that's a really interesting question. Where you're like, well, so it seems like the temperatures are going up, but how do we know that? Like, this, is it just like a bunch of people with thermometers out there being like, well, today it was 92, and uh, and then like t- like writing that down on a piece of paper and tying it to a raven and sending it off to the citadel? No. Um we have a, a number of different ways that we do that. Um, we have satellites that do it and do it pretty well uh, on a sort of like broad everywhere scale. They can tell how warm the like and they can tell like how warm different parts of the of the uh, earth are. Um, or of the atmosphere are. We also have weather balloons that go up every single day, hundreds of them in America. Weather balloons that shoot up through the atmosphere and take readings all the way through the atmosphere. So we're not just measuring the the temperature on on the surface of the earth, but also through the atmosphere. And then those weather balloons pop and the the things fall to the earth, they break, uh, and we never use them again. And we do that hundreds of times every day. Uh, We also have, of course, ground-based stations that uh, have been collecting temperature data for a long, 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 long time.
1: So we know Um, that the Earth is getting warmer, but do we know that humans are causing the Earth to get warmer? And do we know that if the projections about how warm the Earth is going to get are correct?
0: Well, John, that wasn't Ryan's question, first of all. I know, but I'm trying to to see
1: things from Ryan's family's perspective. Yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing, like that, like with conversations like these, if you want to be a climate scientist, you have to be a climate scientist. So if in order for me to answer those questions like fully and accurately and deeply, like there are entire departments at many universities that are dedicated to those questions, which is why it's like, well, at a certain point, maybe we trust that, you know, not super w- like, well-paid people who are doing this for a living, like it's their, their job and their passion. The, uh, the consensus is yes, climate change is happening. It, it's of course very difficult to project uh, precisely what the earth is gonna look like in 50 years and how, how warm the atmosphere will be. And which is, which is why there's a range of guesses, but all of the guesses are hotter than it is right now. And the upper level ones are pretty bad and pretty scary, which is why uh, it would be nice if we just sort of like agreed that it was a problem and uh, and do many of the things we're already doing to help solve for it, which is create more efficient vehicles, create electric-powered vehicles, uh, start using more renewable energy, burn less and less and less and less coal, which everyone's doing now because it's becoming less economically viable to burn coal when natural gas is uh, more efficient and, and increasingly easy to get, and also when renewables are becoming more economically viable, which is very, very exciting. and uh, And that, like, isn't just... Great for, like, moving us, ushering us forward into having, you know, billions of people on a planet and and being able to sustain that planet. But also, like, you know, making power less expensive for people. And, you know, as these things get more efficient and cheaper, um, that's good for everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only thing I'd add to that, Hank, is that we have to if you don't believe in expertise, you cannot navigate the world. Like if you do not acknowledge and allow for other people's expertise, if you don't allow for the expertise of physicists, you cannot get in a car and trust that it will not crash. Uh, yeah, we we trust experts all the time, every day. It is only when what the experts say is inconvenient to us that we suddenly find ourselves saying, "But wait, why are we trusting the experts?"
0: Yes, wait. Explain to me uh, exactly how all data is collected in this in this search. And it, you know, and and when you know when you have an incomplete picture, it's uh, it's suddenly really fun and feels really easy to poke holes. Um, and uh, yeah. And that, that is a problem that we have right now.
1: That is a big, that, I, I would argue that is our biggest problem as a species at the moment. Well, I don't know. It's probably <laughs> still malaria. Um, okay, <laughs> this That's question comes one. from Allie who writes, Dear John right. and Hank, in a recent episode of the podcast, Hank made an offhand remark about joshing your partner. Who was the josh for whom this term was coined? And what did he do to earn such notoriety? Etymology and earthquakes, Allie. Hank, do oh, you know do you know which Josh you were referring to
0: no i mean the i know i mean the term joshing is is not i didn't make it up or anything you did it must make be it up. some it must be some josh it
1: it was it was probably some josh, but we also don't know which Josh it was originally referring to it was first used in eighteen forty five uh but we do know that the word didn't become popular until it was associated with uh this American humorist from the 19th century, Josh Billings. Have you ever heard of him? He was like sort of uh no. He was like the poor man's Mark Twain. And today, <laughs> even today, he is the poor man's Mark Twain. Uh but he is responsible for a lot of quotes that we uh hear, although he never said them in like quite the pithy way that they are today right, remembered. Right, uh-huh. He's one of those mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Uh, yep. So he did write. Uh, but the wheel that does the squeaking is the one that gets the grease, which is not quite.
0: <laughs> the squeakiest wheel gets the grease.
1: Exactly. He's. he, well, he Almost thing. got there.
0: That's the thing. Well, when you're writing, um, you, you you're not like you're not trying to create an aphorism. Like you're trying to like you. you it's part of a larger document, and you say, "Well, actually, uh, but." The,
1: if you're Josh Billings, you literally you were trying are. to create aphorisms. Oh. Okay. He just wasn't well. quite. He wasn't quite there. <laughs> He's got another great quote that you might recognize. Um, as in a game of cards, so in the game of life, we must play what is dealt to us, and the glory wow. consists not so much in winning as in playing a poor hand well. Which is a beautiful quote, but not quite as good <laughs> as play the hand, play the cards that you're dealt. <laughs>
0: I love Josh Billings. I, I, this, is, this is my new favorite guy. You should make a video on on the things that he said that got that got pithified, and uh, became Joshier.
1: So there is a Josh Billings quote that is one of my favorite quotes of all time, Hank. Uh, that I okay. that is a proper pithy quote, and I do not know why it has not become like one of the major American uh, aphorisms because it is just, in my opinion, so perfect. There is no revenge so complete as forgiveness.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, that true? that's true. That's that's yes, totally, absolutely. But not but but I understand why it hasn't become a thing because nobody wants to hear that.
1: I guess that's true. Yeah,
0: I want to hear that I'm playing the hand I was dealt. And I want to hear that like that squeaky guy over there keeps getting greased while nobody's paying any attention to me. But what I don't want to hear is forgive your enemies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's true. It's also the part of the gospel that gets quoted the least, I find.
0: <laughs> I uh do do you think we all kind of have a josh? Like does everybody have a josh in their life who's a josher? Do you when you name your child Josh, do you just sort of have to expect Oh, you that, mean like a kid Josh is a josher? Yeah. Like Josh Sunquist is probably my josher.
1: Uh no, I feel like the Joshes in my life are not more or less funny than any of the other people. In <laughs> fact, I feel like the biggest like Josher in my life is Chris Waters, and his name is Chris. Mm. In fact, I would argue that I, uh, we should call it Chrising.
0: Well, apparently, we should call it Marking because Josh Billings was just the the poor man's Mark Twain.
1: The truly, truly poor. Here's another one: The lion and the lamb may possibly sometime lay down in this world together for a few minutes, but when the lion comes to get up, the lamb will be missing almost there <laughs> I mean you need to distill it a little you're getting there
0: <laughs> just like you you my friend Josh Billings are in need of an editor <laughs> an editor the quality of John Green apparently or just of time
1: yeah time will do time the work. is the best editor time is the best editor uh, no, so man. there's your, there's your history of joshing um, which reminds me Hank that today's podcast mm-hmm. is brought oh. to you by Josh Billings Josh Billings. I, I think mostly out of print these days, but um, probably <laughs> nonetheless available online.
0: My guess is, yeah, I mean, the nice thing is, uh, I feel like that's, an, uh, Josh, was Josh Billings, like, pre-copyright?
1: Yes, uh, everything's in the public domain. So we could potentially, John, you and I, put out,
0: like, a collection of Josh Billings' work and not have to pay anyone for it?
1: That is correct. It's just what the world needs. Hank and John bring <laughs> you the Josh, unedited work of Josh <laughs> I, Billings. <sighs>
0: Oh, uh yeah, I mean, well also I gotta say, this guy's got really great hair on his chin and head.
1: Yeah, he was he was a beautiful man, um, especially in terms of his hair.
0: Actually, yeah, he is a good looking dude. This I, podcast is also brought to you by climate science models. Climate science models, they're here. They're
1: here. Get they just get used to it. Uh, also, this uh, podcast is, of course, brought to you by the uh, wonderful new movie Get Out. Uh, it's, a, it's great. You should go see it um, at your house. It is available for rent at your home right now. Please go there. Get out.
0: Did you know, John, that the, uh, that there is uh, one that, what the longest word you can type with just one hand is? I do. Oh, what is it? Liar! You can't just say I do and not know and start Googling.
1: It's rupture wort. <laughs> you googler. Wait, that's not uh. even right. That's not even right. Gosh, dang it, Google. Well, I
0: mean, it really, it depends on what you count a word. Uh, after cataracts, apparently, is a, is a word. It doesn't after sound cataracts
1: like, is not a word. That's ludicrous.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: After After cataracts is clearly two words. Cataracts is an impressively long one, though.
0: Whenever I type the word garage, which I do often when I'm opening up GarageBand, which is how I record this podcast, I'm always like, whoo mm-hmm. didn't need that right hand at all. And it's a surprisingly good feeling. Uh, but... Uh, but, but using just the right hand for for me for some reason feels really
1: wrong which... I'm surprised that you can spell monopoly with one hand. That's a shock to me.
0: Well, yeah, there are there are more there are longer ones with the left hand than with the right hand, which is interesting. I'm not really, really? sure what that's about. Yeah. Um, teeter totter, all one one hand, all the all the left hand.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. What about the O in teeter totter? <laughs> you know, John. I think maybe your keyboard looks a little different from mine. Oh, really? Is your is your O over there on the left? Is it <laughs> is it where my Q is? I think you might be looking at the Q and seeing an O. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's where my O is. I switched um, it because I was
0: the, like, the Q that doesn't belong there.
1: Aggregated stewardesses. Oh, stewardesses! I want to type oh that my right gosh. now. Oh my gosh! I'm having a great stewardesses.
0: time now. Stewardess. Oh yeah, that's crazy rupture what what is this tesser Tessera decades Tessera decades Tessera wow. decades
1: is a very that's a very marg, in my opinion an extremely marginal word
0: it's a group of 14
1: right but I mean if we're talking about words that everybody uses in regular conversation
0: well is, is that like a dozen like a like it's like a dozen but with 14 a group like there are Tessera decades and Tessera decades of them <laughs>
1: Yeah, like I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, you know what, I think we should move on from this bit.
0: Alright, okay, here's another question, it comes from Emily who asks, Dear Hank and John, I work at a Jimmy John's, and recently while I was cleaning tables by our big front windows, I watched a bug ram its little body to the glass from the outside several times before just landing and chilling on the window for a while. This makes me wonder, do bugs understand glass? Are windows a constant perplexing struggle in their daily bug lives? Sandwiches and spiders, Emily. Uh, Well, I'm glad at least the bug was on the outside of the Jimmy Johns. I have a theory about this, Hank.
1: Can I tell you my theory? Okay.
0: Sure. Oh my gosh, you have a theory about it. What a shock. Uh,
1: Well, as you know, I'm not a scientist, but I am a person who makes statements with a lot of confidence regardless of whether they're correct. Oh, yep. Uh, Yep, me too. (sighs) I don't think that bugs understand what glass is. I don't think they get the idea of glass, but I think that there is enough reflection off the glass almost always that they recognize that it is a, a barrier of some kind. Uh,
0: I think that they can and cannot. Um, so I, it, There are there are some types of glass that bugs will see better, and probably the glass at the Doobie Johns mm-hmm. is UV-coated, and bugs, I think... I think, can mostly see in the UV uh, range. And so we'll see that there, that there is something there. It won't look totally transparent to them like it looks to us. Um, so mm-hmm. probably, probably. But at the same time, like a bug's not going to do that to a wall. It's not just going to like bang, 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 bang against a wall.
1: Right right well unless it really I I guess it's because there's light that it wants to get to I mean like in our house for instance at night there's always like a wall of moths against the the windows trying to get inside because there's light inside and they think it's the moon Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. bugs are not very smart and I often think about like I I anthropomorphize them a little bit and I think like man it must be so weird being a bug and like going around the human world and just being like why have these people built all this crap (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> why how do they, they need all of this stuff put, to
1: support their little lives? Why do they
0: put the lights inside a box that I can't get through?
1: Why do they do that? Yeah, Jerks. Well, Like also, like why have they create? Why do they live in that much space? Yeah. Like why have they made that much inside when like you only need a tiny amount of inside because it, in a bug's opinion, like outside is so enjoyable. I just think we must look so weird to bugs. I mean.
0: I think we would look weird to bugs if uh, bugs thought about anything. The, the thing i got to say to Emily, uh, as, as a person who understands the tiniest amount about bug behavior, bugs don't understand Windows because bugs don't understand anything. Understanding is a, is a pretty high-order high thing.
1: You know what I've been thinking about recently, Hank? No. S- slightly related to this Good, topic. I'm glad
0: we're going to get off it a little bit.
1: It's really, really hard to go from like uh, single-celled life to multicellular mm-hmm. life. And then, of course, it's like hard to go like the layers of complexity increase and everything. But I actually think that if we went extinct, I, I, I'm i not an evolutionary biologist, as you might know, but I actually I feel like if we went extinct, it wouldn't be that long until a really smart uh, species came along again, possibly even smarter than us, because I don't think we've set a particularly high <laughs> bar. Uh, I I don't think it would be that long, because I think like given that life tends to grow uh, more complex and more diverse over time once we extinctify ourselves, which, as you know, I think is like a 1,000 to 2,000-year event, probably. But if we could make it past that, I think we can be good for a while. Anyway, uh, I just think that, like, it, the hard part we already did by getting to multicellular life.
0: Yeah. No, I think you are absolutely correct. Um, I, I don't know that it would be uh fast in terms of how we think about fast but we would definitely be fast in no millions yeah, so of years would be years. like fast in, in in terms of evolutionary biology like there there was like a billion years where it was just single-celled life and then from dinosaurs to now it was like 65 million the, the right. and and also there are a lot of other smart animals on the planet right now we learn over and over again um and that's Things that are similar to us, like you know monkeys, but also a little bit different from us, like um, dolphins, and also very, very different from us, like uh, like cephalopods. Uh, like we are sh- always like continuously shocked by how smart uh, octopuses are.
1: So, yeah, I think you mean octopodes. octopodes.
0: But I.
1: Uh, I Oh no! I think you mean I'm going to stick with my original pronunciation. Octopodes. I, I,
0: I just I'm saying that that is correct, and also octopodes is correct. So that's just the way that I pronounce it. It's like gif and gif. The, um,
1: actually, according to the internet, only you are correct. <laughs> I don't.
0: I don't. I don't care at all. I don't think that that. I, I'm not. I'm not going to. Not going to fight that one really. But I'm glad you looked it up. Um, yeah. That that. Yeah. I think like. That that leap that we made is a big leap, but I don't think that we would be the last species to make it if we stop existing. I think that it would be very hard to have humans stop existing completely.
1: Uh, I mean, it's not going to be that hard.
0: I think it'd be very easy to have most humans stop existing and for a lot of civilization to stop existing and a lot of technology to stop existing. But yeah, I mean, I th- I think it'd be pretty hard to get rid of all people. We're we are. Uh, well, we are just good at surviving.
1: I mean, you say that about a species that's been around for 250,000 years. We're one of the least successful extant species in the world.
0: In terms of, in terms of years on the planet, but in terms of uh, speed with which our biomass and biomass that we control has increased, uh, we are the most successful species on the planet.
1: Yeah, but let me ask you a question, Hank. If you're a YouTuber, would you rather be the kind of person who built, like, a massive audience really, really quickly? Or would you rather be the kind of person who, like, had slow and steady growth over years and years?
0: You're right, John. I would rather be, you know, Wheezy Waiter. If, 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 than,
1: if, you know, like, <laughs> somebody who says dab before dabbing.
0: Yeah, to each their own, John.
1: Um, Indeed, no, I, I'm but, just saying. Yeah. Like, I think that uh, if we're a species that has grown quickly, that may just mean that the other side of the mountain will also be steep.
0: Mm. Yeah, I just think that I think that getting to zero is gonna—that's gonna flatten out a lot. But that's just mm. me, and that's just where I'm at, John. Man, I think I- we
1: could get to zero very, very quickly. You know what the funny thing is? We're never going to get to settle this bet, because if I'm right, I won't even be around to gloat. And if you're right, you will be. So well, actually, no, I, pro- I
0: probably won't be. We'll probably both won't make it. But I just uh, I, I have true. a lot of friends who are like survivalists, you know? They have, they like have bow and arrows and,
1: and no, tents. No, survivalists are not going to do any better than the rest of us when this stuff comes down, because you can't be a survivalist from like the super cholera that kills us all.
0: Right, sure. I mean, I guess if it's super cholera, um, I hope it's not super cholera, John. That doesn't sound like any fun at all.
1: Well, what are you hoping it is? I'm hoping it's nothing.
0: <laughs> I mean, I.
1: <laughs> what are you rooting for? Nuclear apocalypse? A, a huge explosion of the Yellowstone volcano? What? Yeah, I was, yeah, what I was would just be good? sort of
0: thinking, Like my my imagining of the apocalypse is just sort of a breaking down of systems. So, like, mm. the idea that it all happens at once, to me, doesn't really work. It's, it's like, suddenly, like, the trucks with the gasoline stop coming. And then when the trucks with the gasoline stop coming, then the trucks with the food stop coming. And then when the trucks with the food stop coming, people start stabbing each other.
1: Right. Okay, but... I don't know that I totally agree with that, by the way. I think that I, 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 don't, I don't buy the uh, nasty, brutish, and short vision of uh, the, the state of nature. But uh, th- my question is, what causes the, the trucks to stop coming? And the answer is almost invariably super cholera, like some, <laughs> some disease that is ravaging uh, people and that does not care whether you own a bow and arrow or not. hmm Do you disagree?
0: Well, I mean, John, I, if we're going to, like, we have, I think, on Dear Hank and John, done a fairly good job of covering possible apocalypse scenarios. I just don't feel like we need to spend any more time on
1: it. All right. I will say, the last thing I want to say on this topic, though, Hank, is that um, you have convinced me to become a person who has a large amount of water sitting in the basement. Um, hey, I have a two-week th- supply of water sitting in the basement so that I can watch the world burn for two weeks before I go and join the zombie hordes.
0: Uh, I will say that the US government suggests that you have three, uh, three days worth of water and food for every member of your household, and I think that's a really good and not crazy and not doomsday prepper kind of thing to do. And if you want to up that to a week or two, that's also fine. It's not, uh, it's not a huge uh, square footage commitment in, in your house, I would assume. But um, but yeah, I think that like when I think about the, those that three-day supply, I'm like, you know, like why the U.S. government wants that is because it takes three days to like really mount a significant emergency response. And right. if in those th- in those three days, people are more or less taken care of, that makes everyone's job so much easier. And I really like I honestly do think that everyone should have three days supply of food and water for every member of their household. So I
1: got I've am I, I got to go home and make sure I got 12 days of water per the U.S. government suggestion. Three. Well, let's get to oh, another question okay. from our for listeners, Hank.
0: Yes. Good, 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 good. This question comes from Jenny, who asks. Uh, Dear Hank and John, the school year is coming to an end and I'm full of the usual feelings of excitement, sorrow, and nostalgia. This year, something else. I have a teacher who I really like and will really miss next year, and I want her to know how much I enjoyed the classes I took with her on the last day. I'll be in her class last so it will be a nice end, but I don't know how. I know I'll feel awkward doing it, but I really want to. How do I tell my teacher in a meaningful way how much I enjoyed her class? Reading in history, Jenny. Really sorry, Jenny, that this answer came after
1: the school year ended. But Yeah, great ooh. work, John and Hank. <laughs>
0: but for everybody else who this might help, and also maybe Jenny could do something retroactively.
1: I mean, here's the thing. You always feel awkward saying that stuff or it makes you uncomfortable or makes you nervous. You think you're going to make an idiot out of yourself. But the thing that your teacher probably wants more than anything is to know that she has made a difference in the lives of her students. And to tell her that is not an inconvenience to her. It is a gift to her
0: yeah i i i mean i my guess is that a card will be literally a million times more than she's ever gotten before and that's well gonna,
1: not literally a million times no
0: in right I, infinite a a, I, a,
1: I, a a million a million cards might be a million times more <laughs> no but i don't know that, I don't know that the the listener can necessarily afford a million cards, nor in fact am I completely convinced. <laughs> That the teacher would like to receive them. I mean, Hank, you throw around big numbers, but you don't know what they what they actually mean until you sign two hundred thousand sheets of paper. <laughs> you don't know how many a million is.
0: If, what I meant, at what the I end meant of this thing, say, I would only be uh, one
1: fifth of the way to signing oh, yeah, a million yeah, yeah, yeah. cards.
0: Uh, what I what I meant to say what what I yeah. was intending to get across is that uh-huh. it will it will be infinitely more because she will never have even received a card before and like that like i certainly never thought deeply or hard enough to to thank my teacher in a in any way at the end of the school year and so taking the time to do that and to just like like write some stuff in a card and just hand like you don't have to like be face to face and all like weird and uh uncomfortable about it because that's probably going to be weird and uncomfortable though if you can pull it off 100 percent do it but it's easier to write some words down in a card and hand it to them and say thank you so much or send it to them um since maybe the, you've missed your opportunity to hand it in on the last day of class but uh, yeah I'll, and i, also, I mean I,
1: i've received a few of those cards over the years and i have to say i've kept them all and sometimes i still read them and they make me cry i, I and um And it sounds like this teacher has had a much more meaningful impact on your life than I've had on anybody. So, um, yeah, I think you should, I I absolutely think you should say something. And I also think that you should, um, put it in a card. I agree with Hank a hundred percent, but don't put it in a million cards.
0: Don't put it in a million cards. And if you want to, you could also uh, do any kind. like you could give them a a book that you really love. You could give them, um, you know, a bumper sticker, like any old thing is going to feel is is, is a nice thing. You, You don't have to like, uh, You don't have to overthink
1: This next question comes from Millicent who writes, Dear John and Hank, Next semester I have class with a writer I've loved for years. I read her first book of short stories in 2010 when they came out and now she teaches at my college and I'm taking screenwriting with her. The only words I've said to her face so far are, Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I love you. I've interacted with her several times Mm. since this moment, but I've never managed to breathe long enough to speak. (laughs) Oh boy. How do I learn to chill? (laughs) Always your friend, Millicent. P.S. That's how Hemingway signed off his letters. Uh, Although he wasn't always your friend. So um, that's a a curious irony, I guess, in Hemingway's life. So, Hank, this is a field in which we have a little bit of experience Mm -hmm. on both sides of the coin. Definitely. Have I told my Neil Gaiman story on the podcast before, John? Probably, but tell it again.
0: (laughs) I was backstage at the uh, one-year anniversary of the release of The Fault in Our Stars where we did our Carnegie Hall show. Yeah. And and Neil Gaiman came to do a dramatic reading of a scene. Um, and uh, and there were a bunch of other great people there. Kimmy Dawson and John Darniel and, and Hannah and Grace were there. And we had a fantastic time. And I was signing posters backstage. And Neil Gaiman came and sat down next to me. And, he, and I was like, ah, freaking out. I was freaking out. 100% freaking out. And, uh, and he, like, told me a whole story about how the first time we met, and I'm using air quotes because at that point, like, I was just in his signing line, and and I had him, like, deliver a message to John and say, good morning, John, uh, at a show or a, a, a reading that he did in Montana. And, um, and he signed my book. And, uh, and he did this whole story about how, like, he told me this whole thing. Oh, it was amazing. It was, like, like heartfelt and, like, like about how just before that show, his dog had died, and that there, like, that had been a really important show for him to like keep working and moving and doing stuff, and and, and, and like like and feeding off of the the positive feelings that his uh, community and audience had for him, and uh, and I just sat there and I I was like uh huh uh huh yep yep uh huh. And I could I couldn't say anything I couldn't do anything I couldn't talk about any of the dogs that I've known that have died I couldn't I could not relate at all or speak in sentences to him and still have never ever been able to like have a normal conversation and I like that kind of like I feel like that super sucks for Neil right
1: right yeah no I think it does I mean I th- what I think is weird is that some people I really really admire I can talk to like normal people. And some people I can't, and it doesn't have anything to do with them. You know, it is entirely about Uh me. Like, when I see Patrick Rothfuss or talk to Patrick Rothfuss on the phone, I love his work. I think he is an actual genius, and I can talk to him like a normal person. Or when I talk to Jacqueline Woodson, who I think is, you know, like one of the great geniuses of children's book writing ever, I can talk to her like a normal person. When I met Sherman Alexie, no dice. (laughs) <laughs> it just did not i did and it and i just i just couldn't i couldn't i tried like three different times and then i was like you know what time to quit like the the if i've learned one thing from uh if you can't keep your chill uh it's cut your losses <laughs> <laughs> i this year at vidcon we met the cast of pitch
0: perfect two, and i totally weirded out on them uh, you uh, did. You and, went a little and,
1: too hard. You did come a little too hard because you were like, guys, I know this is an unpopular opinion, but I like Pitch Perfect 2 better than Pitch Perfect 1. And they were like, yeah, thanks. That's cool. We like it too. And you're like, yeah, no, it's great. And I was like, ah, that's enough, Hank. That's enough. I mean, <laughs> Time you're,
0: not, to end. you're not going all the way because you're not telling them what I said because I'm not also going to tell them what I said. Yeah, I'm not going gonna, gonna, to repeat
1: line. everything because it was way... <laughs> you did... You did um, you did go a little too far, but I, I understand it. Like, it's exciting to meet people whose mm-hmm. work you admire and who you probably never thought you were going to get to meet. And especially to take a class with them is exciting. But if you're going to, the thing is, you can't follow that cut your losses advice if you're going to be in a class with them where they're giving you a grade. <laughs> like, you're going yeah. to have to chill.
0: <laughs> just, like John's advice is like, skip class, drop <laughs> out of school, go yeah. away. Cancel, never...
1: <laughs> do not go to that class. Find a different class to attend. Yeah. No, I I don't. The right advice is that I I suspect that eventually, pretty quickly, probably, when you have this person as a teacher, you will realize that they are just a person. And even if they're one of those extremely charismatic... Like, for instance, my college writing classes were taught by this guy p f Kluge, who I really admired his writing, and I definitely was super intimidated by him and part of the reason I was intimidated by him was because he was this larger than life presence, you know the way he talked, the way you couldn't wear hats in his class or chew gum, the way you ha- like the way mm-hmm. he would notice the moment you weren't paying attention. he was one of those teachers, you know and um but eventually. You start to realize that these people are, are people, that they're just mm-hmm. people and that the work that they do isn't made by some like genius that's separate from the rest of humanity. It's it's made from within humanity. And I think if you can acknowledge that in someone, then it becomes a lot easier to to hang out with them.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I, I'll also say that I uh, I at Eckerd, where I went where I did my undergrad, Illy Wiesel taught. Uh, class and wow. and I always was like I'm not and of course like it was like most people didn't get into it who wanted to take it but I never even tried because I was like that's too scary for me to try and yeah take that class and now of course I regret that tremendously so take the opportunities do you, you though
1: I don't know like I you know like Toni Morrison uh teaches a couple classes at Princeton I think she still does and I remember my best friend from high school went to Princeton and he was like uh Man, I can't do it. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I can't. I can't handle. Like I, and I totally get that. Like I couldn't handle mm-hmm. d- learning from Tony Morrison. <laughs> it would be too. It would be too cool. Like I. I would not be able to ever recover my chill. I don't think so. I. I understand. I definitely understand the problem. But um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, I've had. A, there have been a few times in my life, and I know this has happened to you, Hank, because I've seen it happen. Where like people ran up to me like screaming and like i I don't know what to do i don't know how to handle being screamed at Mm -hmm. even if it's very positive screaming
0: yeah yeah i i know it's it's a weird thing and like it's it's something that nobody wants to complain about of course because like it's wonderful and it's, it's it's like a side effect of this great thing having happened to you which is having a community having an audience and 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 having people who want to consume the things that you create um but, but I do like, I know a lot of my friends like dread going on flights because they know that they're like when they're going to be in a large, like an airport with a bunch of people, like there's going to, like it's not going to just be like, like, you know, six o'clock in the morning doing this thing that you don't really want to do, but it's going to be doing it with a bunch of people who want something from you. And, uh, and I know like people right. who over medicate themselves because of that. And, um, and it like upsets me that that's a, like, uh, you know, that that is sometimes their reaction to that. And I, yeah, it bums, bums me out.
1: Yeah, it, it is a real thing. Um, it is, it is a real thing, but it is also obviously like a, a an extremely, uh, privileged, right. uh, problem. There's yeah. a recent Jaden animations video. That's, uh, that, that touches on this actually, that I thought was just brilliant. Like it talks about it without ever, uh, seeming ungrateful, Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really, really good. So uh, I would also watch that video maybe for a little bit of uh, insight into what your teacher might be experiencing in that situation. Hank, we have to get to uh, some comments and some some corrections. One very important correction that was sent in 652 billion times.
0: Okay. What did we do?
1: All right. We said that the United States has the best barbecue in the world. Well, John... And a lot of people Mm. in Australia took that extremely personally uh, because apparently Australia is the world's leading barbecuing nation among all of the nations in the southern hemisphere on the continent of Australia
0: <laughs> I'm yeah I just I mean I understand that throwing another shrimp on the Barbie is uh, apparently one of the one of the things that we know about Australians uh, just yes by be- by being a human being in America for some reason. But America has the best I barbecue. I think mostly
1: because of Outback Steakhouse. Is
0: that what it's from? I don't know. But uh-huh. the, the important thing is that America has the best barbecue. Like, Yeah. I, and if, some, I and mean, if somebody I wanna, in another like, country uh, said that about their country, I would be offended. And it's okay for you to be offended because, like, Korean barbecue or Australian barbecue or Malaysian barbecue you think is better American barbecue is better. I'm American and I love American barbecue and you are wrong. And it's okay for us to have different opinions uh, and think that each other are wrong. That's what opinions are.
1: I for. agree with you, Hank. I just want to add one thing, which is that right now, what barbecue is all that we have. Okay, Australia. <laughs> so don't take away the one freaking thing that we still have. Okay. We have really good barbecue. Yeah. We, have, we don't have a great healthcare system. I wouldn't say that our, our politics are functioning A++ right now. I also wouldn't say Australia's politics are functioning A++, (laughs) but we have this barbecue thing and don't take it away from us, okay? That's it, I'm moving on. We also got a correction from a bunch of people in Portland Or in Seattle or any other MLS city criticizing my making fun of MLS, which I wasn't really doing, but uh, many people in Portland wanted me to point out that the Portland Timbers were not formed in 2009 or whatever I said they were formed. They were formed in 1975, although they've been out of business like 72 times in the intervening 40 (laughs) years. and the existing Portland Timbers were formed in 2001, and I want to apologize for claiming that your 14-year-old club was only eight years old. Uh, Byron— God, I am the most ungrateful corrector. Also, Byron
0: wanted to point out that there is a border collie that works at Cherry Capital Airport— um, and this this border collie does not appear to catch birds that are inside. Though I've gone to yeah. its Instagram page, and it is a very good Instagram page, just just fantastic dog shots. Uh, it appears
1: to, it's it, Airport K number nine yeah. is the is the Instagram for this dog at the Cherry Capital Airport. Yeah,
0: uh, this dog is named Piper, I believe. And Piper, it appears I think uh, clears the runways of of, of birds that might. Uh, I don't know, maybe not. I can't tell.
1: Wildlife control canine. Do you know where Cherry Capital Airport is, Hank? No idea, John. I assume it's in DC, because it's in Traverse City, Michigan.
0: Well, I don't. I don't feel like this is a huge airport. Is my feeling?
1: Uh, to say that it's not a huge airport is a pretty significant uh, understatement. So, just for a little con. Oh, actually, you know they they have like they've had like twenty or twenty five flights land just today oh. from Detroit. Chicago and Minneapolis. <laughs> sounds So, a, they're doing okay up there about in like Traverse Missouri. City. Yeah. Yeah. Um all right, one other thing mm-hmm. Hank that we've got to okay. get to. Uh, if you don't mind. Oh man, I'm ready. This is from Lucrezia. Lucretia, Lucrezia. I'm so bad at names. It could be Lucrezia. What is it? Lucretia. Oh, Rosiana just pronounced it correctly. It's Lucretia. Lucrezia? Lucrezia. Mm. Luc- I mean, Rosiana speaks Spanish, which is a huge advantage in this situation. Okay. I'm moving on. Maybe we'll just edit in Rosiana's pronunciation. <laughs> Dear... Dear John and Hank, I am a climate scientist and would like to assuage some concerns raised in your most recent episode, while probably also adding some new ones. Oh, climate scientists (laughs) always assuaging one concern only to add a new one. There was a question about ancient bacteria thawing and causing epidemics as the ice caps melt, and while you did correctly cite the concern of anthrax and reindeer frozen in the permafrost becoming a health issue, honestly, this isn't even one of the biggest problems. One of the reasons for this is that the high latitudes tend to be less densely populated than the tropics or temperate zones, and so epidemics don't spread as fast or, or infect as many people another is that there are so many other things to worry about for example the comfortable living range of malaria carrying mosquitoes is likely to spread to higher latitudes as temperatures in those areas increase resulting in greater incidence of infection and floods caused by melting glaciers and rising sea levels will potentially spread waterborne diseases like cholera and dysentery so if you want to worry about climate change related diseases you should probably start with those
0: (laughs) and i do john I do want to worry about climate change-related diseases, and I am.
1: I should add that, that Lu- Lucrezia signed off, eat and be merry for tomorrow we die.
0: Oh, no. Not in Montana, because we're, we're pretty far out of the range of, uh, of, of both sea level rises and, uh, and also the comfortable range of malaria-carrying mosquitoes. So everybody just come out here and raise up our property values. We got lots of new rental apartments. It's, it's crazy right now. John, do you got some uh, news from AFC Wimbledon for me?
1: I do, I do. Hank, I have actually incredibly exciting news from AFC Wimbledon.
0: Oh, good. Well, it's been three I weeks, am, so hopefully something happened.
1: I am, as you know, deeply concerned about AFC Wimbledon's season, as I think at this point a lot of AFC Wimbledon fans are, ah. just because we've lost a lot of players without acquiring any new ones, and we also don't have very much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, a, it, uh, it's hard to be... It's, hard to, it's just hard to survive in League One when you don't have any money and you're owned by your fans. So, anyway, um, there is, however, good news. on. I would argue good news on multiple levels, which is that AFC Wimbledon fans not living in the United Kingdom, which is to say you, me, and the vast majority of the people listening to this podcast uh, will be able to watch live streamed AFC Wimbledon Ooh. games live inside their internet for a fee that they pay to AFC Wimbledon that AFC Wimbledon will then hopefully use to buy some players.
0: Unfortunately, they can't do that until you start playing some games.
1: Right. Well, the game starts soon, but... um. You should go to the AFC Wimbledon website to check it out also uh, the, the 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 games have been released the the list of games you know the like schedule that's what it's called the list of games <laughs> um, the, the traditional listing of the games uh, AFC Wimbledon's first game is on August 5th against Scunthorpe I mean it's always it's always a wonderful day when you get to visit Scunthorpe um, and uh, then, then they play Brentford, Shrewsbury, and Fleetwood, and Doncaster, and Barnet, all in August, so it's going to be a big August for us. And then uh, the sort of, you know, the the matches that everyone looks to, uh, September 22nd, uh, playing against the franchise that currently applies its trade in Milton Keynes, and uh, Portsmouth, one of the biggest uh, clubs in League One on September 9th, so... It's about to start, Hank. The season starts on August 5th. Scunthorpe. Ah, I'm very nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend I'm not nervous. I'm extremely nervous.
0: Um, I, I, I'm i also nervous for you. It does seem a little bit like there aren't going to be uh, enough players. Is Lyle Taylor still there? Lyle
1: Taylor's still there. And there are technically enough players, Hank. We've, we've already played a couple of, um, okay. of preseason so matches, can, and you you we can, did have can, 11 people on the pitch. Can,
0: <laughs> that's good to hear um yeah that's good to hear I I yeah did, is there something you did did they do something wrong like how is is there money left over to get more people
1: uh it's not clear the uh I mean it's still the the, the trading signing window is still open until the end of August so yeah. there's still time okay um I it's it was always it it's always going to be hard the second season uh in a in a in a new league is is traditionally harder than the first season and i think part of the problem is that it's impossible to tell players like jake reeves or tom Elliott, like you can't go play for a bigger club that has more money because like of course you want those players to yeah. have those opportunities and then they just mm-hmm. become very hard to uh to replace. Um, One last thing, Hank, Uh, Nerdfighteria is sponsoring uh, AFC Wimbledon's match against Blackpool this season. Um, So I don't know if I'm going to be there for that game, but a bunch of nerdfighters will. So put it on your calendars. If you're in the neighborhood, I'm definitely going to go to a few games this season though. I'm excited.
0: Um, Well, in the news from Mars, John, I I know that, you know, that that there's some weird things about Mars. So, so three weird things uh, up with Mars. We've got, uh, we've got a weird geology where, where one hemisphere of the planet is has way more craters than the other. Um, the, it's really like smooth in the, the north and cratered in the south. We've also got a weird composition of the planet, so uh, lots of metals in the crust, very different from Earth's uh, c- composition. And then you've got these two weird lumpy moons, Phobos and Deimos, and... Um, there are lots of guesses as to like how these three things happened and why um with with a, with with like different different guesses for each one but uh and one of the big ones has always been that there was there is at some like an early point in mars's history there was a uh, how they explain the the fact that the uh northern hemisphere is so smooth is that there was a very large impact like the kind of impact that, that uh, Earth experienced at that time that formed our moon, but maybe not as big as that, or maybe it just didn't do the same, same thing that ours did because Mars is smaller or the impact was larger or whatever. But uh, a new paper came out a couple weeks ago while we were on our little hiatus that uh, sort of explains all three of those things at once, which is that this impact could have come from a certain type of body um, in the early solar system that uh was metal rich and very large like the size of Ceres, which is the by by far the largest object in the asteroid belt basically a like a little planet and um and that that deposited a bunch of of these iron loving metals like heavy things like iridium and gold and iron um into the crust and it also uh like created this much smoother area of the planet and also shot off both Phobos and Deimos, which became Mars's moons, uh, these moons would not have formed uh, in which which might explain why they're small and why they're sort of like lumpy potato shaped rather than being spherical because they weren't big enough uh, or warm enough to actually turn into spheres in space. So that new paper is out now. It's called Colossal Impact Enriched Mars's Mantle with Noble Metals. Uh, published in June of 2017, and uh, they're, they're estimating that the time of the, uh, the uh, impact uh, was about 4.4 billion years ago, and the object was about 1,200 kilometers in diameter, which is a, a biggie. That's a biggie, John. It's really nice that we live at a time when the solar system has fewer of those kinds of things floating around, those, uh, those 1,200 kilometer objects. You don't
1: really want one of those around. Hank, a couple of questions. Uh, first off, are you saying that there is gold on Mars and lots of it?
0: I that is that is the truth. That is a thing.
1: Okay. Um, I
0: but but John, if we're gonna mine gold from someplace, it's the first step is probably not going to be at the bottom of the gravity well. Um, if we'll probably pick it off of asteroids where there are several asteroids that have a very high composition of gold, just like the one that probably crashed into Mars. Um, and what
1: is a gravity well?
0: A uh, gravity well is a very large, ma- very massive object uh, So, so uh, that you would have to then expend energy to get off of. So dragging, uh. dragging the gold off the planet. So there's one thing getting, uh, getting the gold to fall back to Earth, which is actually going to take a lot of energy. But getting it to up out of Mars and then to fall back to Earth, all of that would be like twice as much energy. So you just want it to uh, you want to, want to find something that's not at the bottom of a gravity well if you're going to be lugging out heavy, heavy metals like gold and iridium.
1: Okay, that's yeah. helpful. Mm-hmm. That's very helpful. Second question, if I'm on the surface of Mars, can I see two moons? Like, yeah. do I see two moons the way I, w- we see one moon? Yeah, 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 yeah. That is cool. Uh-huh. That is really cool. That makes me kind of want to go to Mars just so I can get that two moon vibe. <laughs> and then having like taken a couple pictures, get... Back on the spaceship.
0: <laughs> well, also, John, I don't think you want to be on a spaceship. Just knowing you, uh, like.
1: Well, I don't like confined spaces, and I don't like social time with other people. Is there a lot of private space on spaceships, or not so much? I mean, the question
0: is, what do you what do you say to your spaceship crewmate when it's time for them to go home? <laughs>
1: Please get out of my spaceship. Um, What do you mean there's only one spaceship and we share it? Uh, One last follow-up question. On these missions to Mars, will there be private bathrooms? Because I feel very strongly about not sharing bathrooms.
0: Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I don't actually... I don't know how... Like if the bathroom on the ISS is even a separate room. Oh my
1: God. So it's basically, it's basically just like being in prison, except you can float.
0: (laughs) I'm looking now. I don't, I don't know if there's a door. I assume there's a door or a curtain or something. Oh
1: my God. That level. I'm looking right now and I am flipping out like (laughs) that level. Oh God. Oh my goodness gracious! You don't like oh, the looks of that toilet. G. That is just not okay. This one's oh, got at wow. least a little
0: butt place for your butt to go.
1: yikesity yikesers. Well, I mean, I wanted to go to space, and now suddenly I don't, and I don't suspect the desire will ever come back to me. Hank, we have to go. We have to go record this weekend, Ryan. Yeah, we do. Our new what, did, what did? What did? What did we learn today, John? Oh, uh, well, we learned that uh, climate science is real, and also uh, cholera might become more of a problem in an age of climate change.
0: We also learned that Josh Billings is in the public domain, so be on the lookout for Hank and John's collection of Josh, Josh Billings stuff. We're going to print it out on my printer right here, staple it together, and sell it for fourteen ninety nine.
1: But why spend $14.99 on that when you could spend probably less than $14.99 at ProbablySignedTurtles.com to get a probably signed pre-order of my new book, Turtles, all the way down out on October 10th? Oh, that was hard (laughs) to get into a single breath. And lastly, uh, we learned that when it's time to say goodbye to your friends... You can let them know by just saying "get out,
0: get
1: out."
0: Thanks, John, for being with me here on this 100th episode of Dear Ang and John, I know that when I started out by saying it was like a spectacular and it was a fantastical that that like maybe you thought we were gonna have a bunch of special guests or something. Nope. No. Nope. No. 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 Nope. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's produced by Rosianna Halls Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno, who also runs our Patreon which if you go and donate there, it will help out SciShow and Crash Course, and you'll get our weekly bad podcast, This Week in Ryan's, which we're about to go record right now. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and as they say in our hometown, don't Don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.